How's everybody doing? How's everybody doing? Magnus. Everybody good? Awesome. Everybody good in the hood? Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Woo-hoo. Colorado in the house. Tony, how about you? Colorado's in the house. Who else is in the house? Michelle Jarosh here. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. How's Dad? Uh, hopefully they'll get him off the ventilator today. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So no, those things I'm, are no fun. I'm listening in, the, in his hospital room. <laughs> Sally's here. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Christopher. Who else we got on the call? Penny Ray in Colorado Springs. Good morning. Good morning. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah. Can everybody hear me? Yes, Christopher. You're loud and clear. Okay. I just I just switched from uh, my my speaker for my Bluetooth on the car, if you will, to my Trey Beats, because I left my Apple Pod, or AirPod, whatever you call that, at the house, and I'm bummed about that. I need that. <laughs> Those things are, like, incredible. I always thought they were sort of goofy until my, I got some for my daughter, and I, tried, I was like, oh, my goodness. Those things are, like, the best thing ever. It just makes it so much easier to make a whole bunch of calls to be on the phone all day. I love that thing. Um, really well designed. Anyway, <clears throat> good morning, everybody. Hey, I want to talk to you a little bit <clears throat> this morning. I want to get a little bit off track from what we've been talking about maybe for the past few weeks or since we begin the quarter. And I want to talk a little bit about you and your past and your present and your future. Uh, would somebody do me a favor and post the conference call? number and password and all that sort of stuff on the Superbase group because for some reason we have some people troubles with some people getting on. I had a lot of troubles getting on myself this morning. All right. Hopefully some some of you are posting that. Uh, for me. So I want to talk a little bit about just sort of you, your past, your present, and your future. We've got a big fast search that we're preparing uh, for tomorrow. And um, I was just sort of thinking about like all of the speakers that are going to be there tomorrow, all these different people's stories, what we have in common, and, and yet what we don't have in common, all the differences in our pasts differences in so many different ways. And so what I want to talk to you a little bit about was really how do we go about changing? Because when I, when, I, when I sort of look at my own story and where I am today, and there's somebody I was on uh, social media. There's a, uh, a buddy of mine, and uh, he, he tends to be more liberal and more progressive uh, in his politics than I am. And so when Mike Trout, the best player in baseball, by far, not even close, uh, signed a record deal uh, this past week with the Angels. Uh, 
you know, he posted this thing about how much he's going to earn per year and per game and per at-bats and per pitch and all this sort of stuff. And he was just like, well, when is too much too much? Like, that's not fair. That's not right. Like, the average family can't go to a baseball game these days. Um, and he's like, baseball used to be such an affordable sport. Now they can't. You know, they can't go to a baseball game. And, and, and you know, my, my perspective is more like, hey, let him get all that he can get. It's, we, we, I don't think we oftentimes say that, well, actors or actresses make too much money per movie. Or artists make too much for, for a concert or per album or per download. Or, like, there, like, there's so many other, I, I think, people that in the entertainment sphere, because that's really what sports are, that make enormous amounts of money that we never seem to question. But for some reason, we do in sports. And all sports is is uh, a glorified sense of reality television. It's, it's just entertainment for all of us. And so... <clears throat> As we were sort of bantering back and forth very respectfully, um, I, you know, I, my comparison was like, look, the, the, like, he's a teacher, and he's like 35% of his kids get subsidized lunches. And I, and I was like, well, I said, the fact of the matter is they might not be able to afford to go to a baseball game, but they can watch him on, online, they can watch him on TV, they can listen to broadcasts of it, just like they may not be able to go see their favorite artist in concerts because it's too expensive, but they can listen to their favorite artist's music virtually free with YouTube and so much online access today. And the same with actors or actresses. And so, like, the access is there. And I just shared with them, like, when I was growing up, um, we qualified for the subsidized lunch program, too. We were poor as snot. Uh, my mother raised three of us uh, on a part-time waitress so, like salary. Like, we had no money whatsoever. So we never went to a ball game. We never went to McDonald's, for goodness sakes. Like, that just wasn't in our budget. And so, but, like, the, the thing that I love about our country and about our current economic system is that you can radically change your econ- socioeconomic status in our country because of the opportunity that's out there. Now, it's less than perfect, but there's so much opportunity out there for each and every one of us to take wherever we were brought up or wherever we are currently today and to dramatically change it moving forward. Remember, I told them that's like, we qualified for subsidized lunches and since my mom fucked out, like she refused to participate. She didn't want any handouts. And I don't know if it was a good decision on her part or a bad decision, like quite frankly, um, my mom wasn't a very good cook, and we were poor, so, like, the stuff she made me for lunch was crap. It was never any good. I would have rather had the free or the subsidized hot lunches at the school because they always looked great. But that was just not part of her mindset at the time. I look at where each one of the three of us children are socioeconomically, and it's we're in such a different place all three of us are than where we were growing up, and, and yet we're very, very different. <clears throat> It's three individuals. It's funny. I heard somebody talking about um, in- income equality in our country the other day, and, and they were like, shoot, you raised three kids in the same house with the exact same, like, set of standards and expectations, the exact same education, the exact – like, you raised three kids as close to identical as you can, and their three experiences as adults 
oftentimes is dramatically different. So, <laughs> and that's what so many of the variables being the same, right? But the fact of the matter is, like, all three of us kids are much better off than my mother was or than we were raised. And, that, and I began to think a little bit about, okay, well, why is that? And then why is there a disparity between where I wound up, where my brother wound up, and where my sister wound up? And what was unique for us, and what was the same for us, and how did things change? And here's what I began to realize, and it's just something that I know that you're aware of, but as much as we're aware of things, we oftentimes don't do what we need to do. So much of it comes down to our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors or our actions. And we know that. I mean, if you're in the personal or self-development world at all, whether it's Instagram and social media, whether it's podcasts, whether it's like uh, audios, whether it's audio books, like whatever your genre is or however you intake of that sort of stuff, you're like highly aware of that, highly aware of that. I'm going to ask you to hold on just a second. I can try and switch up my Bluetooth just one more time in the hopes that I can get a little bit better connection because I'm getting a little bit of a rough connection right now. Um, Hang on just a moment here. All right, hopefully this is a little bit better. Hopefully it won't go out. Um, So as we talk about those three things, really, your thoughts, your feelings, and your behavior, or your actions, and how they're directly related to sort of your identity and your vision for where it is that you're going, it's like all of these things are interconnected in such a way. And I know that we know that consciously, but I think oftentimes where we fall short is how do these things play out subconsciously? How do these things play out in our day-to-day life? In other words, um, I look at growing up in a home where our media, or, you know, our income on an annual basis was less than $20,000 a year. Like my entire life growing up. It's not like, oh, <clears throat> we went through a bad stretch for five years and then, and then it all cleaned up. Like my entire life from the time my father passed away when I was four till – I graduated college and moved out of the house my entire life. My mother never earned more than $20,000 a year. So we were always poor. We always financially struggled. So, and I grew up with a whole, like, an identity based around that. I grew up with limiting beliefs based around that. I, believe, I grew up with associations based around that. I, I grew up with sort of a vision and an identity based around all of that. And so then the question becomes, like, really, how do we go about shifting some of those things? Because we know that we know that if you think bad thoughts, negative thoughts, we know, like, everybody, I think, on this call knows, like, well, that can lead to um, bad feelings and bad behavior. If you think about negative things all the time, it's going to make you feel crappy. And if you think about things in a negative way consistently enough, it can really affect your health. I mean, what is stress really? Stress is looking at a situation, whether it's happened or we're anticipating the possibility of it happening, 
and we're imagining all of the possible negative consequences or outcomes of that happening. And that's how we create stress in the mind, and then we feel stress in the body, and it has an impact on our health. So the, the, way, <clears throat> the way that these things are connected is very, very important to your success. But here's the thing. It's, we've talked about this before, but I just thought, for whatever reason, it's a great time to sort of get back and remind ourselves, because we get into habits, it's almost the end of the first quarter. And so if we're going to change our outside world, if we're going to change the results going on in our business, if we're going to change our income, if we're going to change the size of our business, if we're going to change the amount of production or revenues or attendance or recruiting numbers, if we're going to change our health in a massive way, if we're going to change our relationships in a massive way, it starts with, um, something called metacognition. What is metacognition? It's, being, it's thinking about your thoughts. It's about being self-aware. It's about being aware. Uh, they say awareness is the first step to change. It's being aware of what are the thoughts or the feelings that I have that are not consistent or congruent with where I want to go to. And so as we talk about these things, I, I just want to sort of share with you a couple of examples, and, and I hope that this helps in some way. But... Um, let, let me give you like an example of uh, an addict. Let's say somebody's a meth addict, okay? Nobody, start, nobody tries meth for the first time or uses meth the first few times with the expectation or the desire of becoming an addict. Neither one of those thoughts really occur to them. What they are is, is they're using meth for a short-time, one-time type of experience to make them feel a certain way. Typically, drugs and alcohol or gambling or pornography or any of that sort of stuff, what, what most people are looking for is an experience so that they feel a certain way. They're looking to alter their feelings. Now, in the case of an addict, what happens is there's a certain feeling that's chemically created in, in our bodies. It, it's chemically created if you're a gambling addict, just like it is if you're a drug addict or, or, or alcohol uh, alcoholic. It, there's a feeling that becomes wired in our body that our body craves. And so when we're not in that state, when we don't have that feeling, our body starts craving it. It starts missing it. Even if it's not, even if it's not necessarily a good feeling, our body has become conditioned over a period of time to feel a certain way and want to continue to feel that way because it's, it's a comfortable feeling, even if in some cases it's a negative feeling. It's a known feeling. There's a high level of certainty with this feeling or this experience. And so our body starts to crave it when we're not in that state, when we're not in that feeling. And as a result, the mind starts to find ways to get back to that feeling or experience. So in the case of the drug addict, in the most extreme cases, they don't have any money. They don't have any drugs. They don't have any resources. But the mind starts thinking of a million different ways that I can get the money to get the drugs or that I can get the drugs through some sort of bartering system so that I can get that feeling back. And the mind starts to manipulate the experiences around them in the real world to get that feeling back. Unconsciously, this has happened, right? Right? And in the same way, <clears throat> we have an experience in our life, whether it's an experience that I had of uh, you know, being broke and being poor all the time. And consciously going, I don't like the way it feels to be broke. 
I don't like the way it feels to not have enough money. I don't wait, like the way it feels to be not respected. I don't wait, like the way it feels to be frustrated or feel overwhelmed all the time. I don't like the way it feels to, to, to lack self-confidence. I don't like the way it feels to never feel good enough. I don't like the way it feels to, to, to always like, feel like I need other people's approval. Like, these are all feelings that oftentimes in our past or in our present, like, we don't like the feeling of. But we've repeated those feelings or experiences so many times over and over that we become addicted to that feeling even if we don't like it. Like the drug addict in the worst situation or the alcoholic in the worst situation when they're like close to rock bottom or hitting rock bottom, the drug or the alcohol no longer provides a good feeling for them. And even though it provi- doesn't provide a good feeling and it doesn't provide, provide good experiences or good results in their life, they still crave the feeling. Now, is it slightly different in, a, in the case of an addiction? Yeah, probably. But, <clears throat> but they're, they're more similar than they are different. In the case of us, we, we have a bad experience in a relationship or we have a bad experience with money or we have a bad experience in business with getting results and we create a story around that experience. We, we create a story around the bankruptcy. We create a story around the short sale. We, can, we create a story around the student loans or the credit card debt. We create a story around the failed relationship. We create a story around the feelings of insecurity based on a relationship. We, uh, we, feel, we create a story around the feelings of not being good enough because of uh, the role of one of our parents or a teacher or a coach in life or even a spouse. And we create a story around that, and then we tell that story over and over to other people. And that story becomes very rehearsed, and we get very good at telling that story. We tell ourselves the story. It's almost like a triggered response when we see similar experiences, whether it's on television or in real life, or in our own lives, or in the lives of people around us, we see similar experiences, and it triggers the story. And every time we tell the story, whether it's we're telling it out loud to somebody else, or we're reliving the story in our own mind briefly, it brings back all of the feelings associated with that story. And the more time we experience these feelings over and over, feelings of being inadequate, not good enough, feelings of being in lack and scarcity, feelings of being broke and being desperate and not knowing what to do, feelings of being overwhelmed, feelings of being like unhealthy and unfit and just not happy with our bodies. As we tell these stories over and over, both out loud and internally, we relive the experience or the feeling over and over and over. And even if it's not a good experience or a feeling, we become somewhat addicted to that experience or that feeling. And so then that's all happened in our past. In our present, what are, when we're out of, just like when the addict is no longer high, no longer stoned, no longer drunk, no longer has the high of a bet, right? When the addict is lacking that feeling or experience, their mind start subconsciously looking for a way to get that experience or that feeling back again. It needs it. Because why? We're creatures of habit. And so this story or experience that you've relived so many times 
even though it's not necessarily a good experience or a good feeling, it's a comfortable one because it's one that's filled with tremendous certainty, our mind subconsciously starts looking to recreate those experiences again. And so we perpetuate in our current life not being good enough. Not being good enough to be loved by others or by somebody. Not being worthy. We perpetuate in our current life through our thoughts and our behaviors subconsciously like, like, I don't deserve to have money. I don't deserve to be, like, financially free or independent. Like, the feelings of scarcity and lack and being broke, like, I'm so addicted to those feelings that subconsciously I'm acting in a way and behaving in a way that helps me to manifest more of that because it creates certainty. The, the feelings of being frustrated and overwhelmed, the feelings of not measuring up, my mind is subconsciously looking for ways to recreate those experiences because I've lived them so many times in the past. And even though I don't want that, what I say I want is a big house and I want to be debt-free and I want to have all this money in the bank and I want to have this big business and I want to have this great relationship and I want to have this incredible level of fitness in my life, right? What happens is, is, we wake up in the morning or we go throughout our day and it's like, I don't feel like doing that. I don't like feel like doing the activity that is congruent with what I say that I want. Why don't I feel like doing that activity? Because subconsciously my mind is looking for a way to get that old feeling back, that old comfortable feeling that I've had so many times before. Those of you that are married know exactly what I'm talking about. There's, some sort of old piece of furniture or decor or some old clothes that you have that your spouse is like, let's get rid of this old stuff, and you just can't let go of it. You realize the fact that it's old and worn and dated and not very useful in the moment. You can't let go of it because in some way it represents something to you in the past. And much in the same way, we set goals about what we want in the future but when we're not self-aware, aware of our thoughts and our feelings, <clears throat> those that are congruent with where we want to go to and those that are congruent with where we've been, when we're not aware of the difference and consciously catch ourselves and go, wait a minute, I know, like, I know the reason I don't feel, like, I know where these feelings come from, the feelings of like, well, I don't want to make my calls today or I don't want to finish making my calls or... I, you know what, I don't want to eat healthy this meal, or I don't want to go to the gym today, or, uh, you know, I don't want to go the extra mile uh, and make the extra effort in the relationship today. What those feelings come from, the past, and the way that I break that vicious cycle of reliving the past over and over and over again, sort of like Bill Murray in that fantastic movie um, Groundhog Day, where he keeps reliving the same day over and over and over again, so many people relive basically the same year, year after year after year. They relive the same month, the same week, the same day, year after year after year. What I mean by that is they relive the same thoughts, the same feelings, and the same behaviors day after day after day. And it becomes a vicious cycle. Now, 
the cycle is good enough to get me to where I have gone, which seems better in some ways than the past, but the cycle is not good enough to perpetuate me into the future. I need to break the cycle. Now, what's the challenge with breaking the cycle? The challenge with breaking the cycle is this, is that in breaking the cycle, it goes, if, like, you're one of these people that struggle to make calls every day, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I don't feel like it. I'm gonna make, I'll do them later today or I'll do them tomorrow or right now this is more important or I just don't feel like it or I'm not really in the mood or whatever it is. When we catch ourselves in that moment and go, wait a minute, I'm in control of my thoughts and feelings. I'm not subject to these habitual patterns. I'm in control, and I'm going to redirect my thoughts and my feelings to be more congruent with my goals in this moment. So even though I, I don't feel like eating healthy right now, I feel like ordering the cheeseburger and the onion rings and the shake. This moment, I'm going to order the salad with the light dressing and a glass of water, even though I don't feel like it, because I'm no longer going to be held hostage. In this moment, I catch myself and go, I'm not going to be subject to my feelings, especially when my feelings are habitual feelings, ran by habitual patterns in my mind on a regular basis. I'm not going to be subject to that. I'm going to give myself the gift of choice. Now, the challenge with the choice in that moment is this. There's a high degree of uncertainty when we make a new choice. When we follow habitual thoughts and habitual patterns and habitual feelings, there's, a, there's a, a high level of certainty as to exactly what I'm going to get. When I disrupt that pattern, when I break that pattern, there's a high level of uncertainty as to what comes next. And there's a fear associated with that level of uncertainty. Well, what if I just put myself out there and really go the extra mile right now in this moment today in this relationship? Well, there's a high degree of uncertainty because I'm making myself incredibly vulnerable. And what if it's not reciprocated? What if it's not appreciated? That rejection could then make me feel like I'm not worthy. But the reality of it is, is when we put ourselves out there, regardless of how the other individual responds, what we find is I have the strength, right, to give and to be that kind of a person that I'm looking for that I most want to attract in a relationship. I can be that person for somebody else. And the more that that cycle is broken and we realize, hey, I put myself out there. I was vulnerable. I was transparent. That, that, that wasn't a, me being weak by being vulnerable. It showed incredible strength for me to put myself in a place of vulnerability like that. And through that strength, I grow. Through that choice, I grow. Hey, it's like it's me resisting the desire to buy something when I can't afford it. But here's what I know. It's like I've got this perpetual habit or pattern that I've run over and over and over for years, and I, feel de- I don't feel good. I feel depressed. I feel frustrated. I'm overwhelmed with my bills. I'm tired of being broke I'm, all the time. I'm tired of but Here's what this has been for me in the past. When I buy something new and spend money I don't have, spend money that should be going somewhere else, spend money to borrow money to purchase this thing, 
I do it for the temporary feeling that I want to feel good in the moment, and I believe this purchase is going to make me feel good in the moment. But when I go, hey, wait a minute, I know how bad I want this in the moment, and I know why I want it, I know how it will make me feel in the moment, but I'm going to break the cycle. I'm going to be aware of my thoughts. This is a perpetual thought. It's a perpetual reaction that I have. It's a, a pattern that I run over and over. And though it gives me a temporary joy, a temporary high, what it really brings me is more of the things that I'm trying to avoid. It brings me more frustration, more overwhelm, more lack, more scarcity, and it keeps me in this poverty cycle or this cycle of not having enough. And so I'm going to be aware. I'm going to go, you know what, just for today, I'm not going to click the button and buy it. Just for today, I'm not going to go to the store and buy it. Just for today, I'm going to be resourceful and find out how to use something that I've already got instead. Find out how to get by with what I've got. And I become more resourceful in the moment. I begin to retake over my mind. I begin, you know, in the police sting, who was with the police way back when I was young. And somebody like Musky probably has no idea what I'm talking about right now. But they had a song called The Ghost in the Machine. And the ghost in the, in the machine is really like the Wizard of Oz behind the little curtain that's directing everything. And the ghost in the machine is really, it's, it's you having metacognition, you being aware in the moment and directing your thoughts and your behaviors and your feelings, and you're not reacting or responding <coughs> to them. So... Um, the more that we become aware of our thoughts and our feelings and when they're not congruent with what it is that we're trying to achieve, the more that we are able to make new choices. As we make new choices and break old patterns and old habits, it's, we begin to get control again of our mind and of our lives. And so... There's a whole bunch of different ways to do that, but the first step really is awareness. The second is, is, is it, it's proven, and I know all of you guys know this because all of you guys have read enough books, been on enough podcasts, or stuff. all of us know this, that, <clears throat> that our subconscious mind does not know the difference between an experience that we had, an experience that we really had in the past, and an experience that's vividly imagined in our minds, something that's never quote unquote really happened, other than outside the com- uh, 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 other than inside the confines of our minds. So, if our if our subconscious mind does not cannot determine the difference, and it's been proven a gazillion times with science, how the neurons fire off in the mind, and and how how our mind and our body reacts and responds to an experience that we vividly imagine in our mind that has never happened in the real world and how our neurons and our mind and our body react and respond to an experience that we're reliving in our minds, an experience that we've actually had. There's no difference. And so if there's no difference, we understand that we become addicted, and for lack of a better word, to certain thoughts and certain feelings that we run these habits and patterns over and over part of the way that we break this cycle long-term, part of the way that we change our future, part of the way that we climb socioeconomic ladders and create a better life for ourselves and for our family 
is by using the power of our imagination, something that Napoleon Hill talked extensively about in his book, Think and Grow Rich, something James Allen talked about even years before Napoleon Hill. Uh, and so <clears throat> James Allen wrote about it in As a Man Thinketh, one of my favorite books, tiny little book, shock full of wisdom. So one of the ways that we begin to break the pattern long-term is when we begin to use the power of our imagination. Our creator gave us this gift of imagination. No other animal on the planet has it. We're the only ones. And the gift of imagination can be used for good and it can be used for bad. What causes most people not to climb socioeconomic ladders, what causes most people not to have more fulfilled relationships with, them, with, with others, with themselves and their, and their physical bodies, with relationships with money, relationships with the outside world, is we, too many people use the gift of imagination to imagine all the things that could go wrong all the things that could stop us, all the things that could go wrong, all the things that could cost us, all the negative possibilities. And how we manifest that is what we call worry or stress. When we worry about something or when we stress about something, here's what we're doing. We're using the gift of imagination, which was a gift from our creator, to imagine how things could happen negatively. Like, like, Alex and Lexi, our two oldest, are 17 and 16, a junior and a sophomore in high school. We tend, like, there's some things we're very, very strict about, and there's other things we're a little bit more liberal on, because we're not trying to raise our kids like the Gestapo to be robots. And so there's some things we're more liberal on, because in the important things, I I think our kids are checking all the right boxes, making all the right choices. One of the things we tend to be more liberal on is how late our children can stay up. And so, whether you agree with that or disagree with it, it doesn't even matter. But one of the challenges with us allowing our kids to stay out late is my wife can't rest or can't allow herself to rest or sleep until the kids come home. Now, I have no problems with it. I, I can send them a text like, hey, here's what time we expect or what time are you expected to be home tonight? I can either agree with it or disagree with it. Sometimes I agree with them, go, that's fine. Sometimes I go, you know what, you can sit out a little bit later if you want. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, we'd like you home a little bit earlier tonight for whatever reason, right? I'm still the parent. But they tell us what time they're going to be home, and I go, okay, here's the deal. When you get home, please come upstairs to our bedroom, wake me up, and just let me know that you get home. And I'm good, and I'll fall asleep. My wife can't fall asleep, can't allow herself to rest when the kids are out because she's worried. And she can't stop worrying until they get home. And so sometimes in an act of love towards my wife, I'm like, look, I know you're tired. Just go to sleep, and I'll wait until the kids get home, even though I don't want to, even though I think it's stupid. Because me staying up isn't going to keep anything from happening to our children. It's not. I think I'll find out about it just as quickly if the phone rings and I wake up from asleep, or as if I'm sitting next to the phone watching television, I don't think I'll find out about anything negative that happens any slower. I think I'll be just as awake and just as alert <laughs> if the phone rings and one of the kids is calling me or somebody else is calling me about one of the kids. And I trust 
that the King of Kings, our Heavenly Father, as much as I love our children, I, I actually believe that he loves them more. And I believe that he's watching them, that, that he's looking out for them. They're under his care. And I trust that everything's going to be okay. Now, you can say that's foolish, that's naive. You can say whatever you want, but the fact of the matter is I don't use the power of my imagination to imagine all the negative things that could possibly happen to my kids when it's 10.30 or 11 or 11.30 at night. I don't. I expect good things to happen. And so we oftentimes, when we catch ourselves worrying about something, when we catch ourselves feeling stressed about something, when something is causing us to have a bad mood, it's oftentimes because we're using this gift of imagination. I don't believe in the way that it was designed for us. I believe we're using it in a way that is destructive to us. In the book of Proverbs, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I've said this many times before. I don't think that was um, written, hey, for people a couple of thousand years ago only. I think those very words are written and meant to be applied in our lives today. Where there is no vision, the people perish. It doesn't say where there is no vision, like people don't do as good, they're not high achievers. <laughs> right? It says where there is no vision, the people perish. They perish. That's a pretty strong thing. If you don't have a vision for your life and where you're going, what it suggests to <laughs> me, I, I look at this stuff as sort of more than a suggestion, is that you will perish. Now, what do you mean by perish? Like, I think Daniel Holt has a degree in like Arabic or something like that. I'm sure he can decipher it for us. But, but we'll perish. That's a pretty heavy consequence for not having vision. For not having a vision for our lives where we want to go to and the difference we're going to make and the way we're going to serve and the impact we're going to leave. So here's the cool thing about imagination. When it's used, I believe, properly in the positive, we begin to imagine all the positive possibilities of what our life can look like. And the more that we use our power of imagination in a positive way, here's what I believe begins to happen. Because your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between something you experienced in the past or something in the future that you're experiencing in your mind right now by using the power of imagination, because it can't tell the difference between between those two. The more that you consistently imagine the same experiences over and over and over happening to you that have not yet happened to you in the external world, but the more that you imagine them more vividly as if they've already happened in your own life, you create that experience and those feelings inside of your body, inside of your neurochemistry. And the more times you create those experiences, here's what I believe happens. You get addicted to what those feelings feel like, to what those experiences feel like. Those experiences that are congruent and consistent with your vision of where you want to go. Those, those experiences and feelings of how you want to feel in this relationship, how you want to be in this relationship, the, those experiences and feelings of how you want to feel physically in your own body, 
those feelings and experiences of what it feels like for you to feel self-assured and confident and not needing the approvals of others and, and, and feeling not only not feeling inadequate but feeling more than adequate, right? Like feeling like, hey, I'm a son or a daughter of the king of, the king of kings. Of course I'm adequate. <laughs> of course I'm good enough. Of course I have what it takes with his help and with his strength and with his guidance. Of course I'm enough. The more that you begin to feel like um, I deserve to win financially and the more that you have experiences that you use the power of your imagination to create in your mind, the more that you have these positive experiences, the more you allow yourself to feel what it feels like to feel financially content, to feel financially successful. But then also what happens, these feelings of gratitude and appreciation and love and confidence, all of these feelings start getting hardwired in our neurosystems and we start becoming addicted to the feelings of appreciation, the feelings of contentment, the feelings of gratitude, the feelings of service, the, the feelings of confidence, the feelings of self-assurance. We start getting addicted to these feelings and when we get addicted to these feelings because of the way we've used our imagination, the experiences that we've created in our minds and the way that those experiences made us feel, then when we're going through our day, when we're waking up in the morning or we're going through our day and we're faced with the decision of what to, what to order and what to eat, to exercise or not exercise, to make the calls or not make the calls, to make more calls or to stop making calls, to, 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 to have the appointment or the meeting with somebody, to go after this thing or, or put it off till another day. As we're faced with those choices, here's what happens. We've got these feelings now that we've become addicted to that are positive, these feelings that are congruent with our vision, these feelings that are congruent with where we want to go and what it's going to be like, and our mind starts creating those experiences in our day-to-day life. Our mind starts looking for ways to create that feeling now, to get back to that feeling now. And so our mind begins to direct our behavior to do things that are going to make us to feel more congruent with that feeling that we want so bad. It's like, once again, the addict, right? And I, all of a sudden you're going through your day and it's like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'm going to make calls or I want to procrastinate or I want to order the bad food, right? And, and it's like all of a sudden it's like, man, I miss the feeling of feeling grateful. I, make, I miss the feeling feeling appreciative. I miss the feeling of feeling like I'm contributing and making a difference. I, make, I miss the feeling of feeling like awesome in my body and feeling good about the way I look, and, right? But all of a sudden, that just like the addict missing the drug, our body misses the feeling of gratitude, of appreciation, of certainty, of financial well-being. And we, our mind starts to direct our actions and our behaviors to somehow get that feeling back. And so we make the good choice. We follow through. We go to the gym. We eat the salad. We make the extra calls. We connect with the person that we've been needing to connect with. We make ourselves vulnerable in the relationship. And as we make, as we're aware of the choices and we make these new choices that are congruent with the feelings that we've created in our mind, that we've begun to hardwire our neurosystems, to become addicted to, 
it breaks the old patterns and begins to replace them with these new patterns. And all of a sudden, these new patterns become habitual. The new patterns of jumping out of bed in the morning, the new pa- patterns of eating, right? The new oh. patterns of exercising, the new patterns of, of delaying gratification. Delaying gratification when it comes to how I'm spending my money. Delaying gratification of, uh, how, uh, uh, of, of the choices I'm making with food. Delaying gratifications when it comes to um, sex or intimacy. Like, delaying gratification where it's like I'm no longer looking for shortcuts to give me some cheap artificial feeling. All of a sudden, our bodies, our minds, our habits, and behaviors become hardwired. They, they become new habitual patterns in the way we think and feel connected to delayed gratification. I'm going to get the long-term feel that's sustainable time, time, time again. And we get to act a I don't remember how to keep the call. Somebody's got something crazy going after us. Like, absolutely crazy. Can, you, can everybody please keep themselves real quick? Just punch the phone. Keep yourself. I apologize. I don't know how to do it. There. Whoever just did it, thank you. I don't know what you just did, but all of the background noise just went away, and you're awesome. Thank you for doing that. Um, <clears throat> What are some things that help us with this process? Meditation certainly helps us with this process. Meditation is quieting our mind from the habitual thinking, from the habitual inner voice, quieting our mind uh, and, and just becoming present in the moment and just not letting go of thought, letting go of your attachment to thought. In Scripture, it's in Psalms, one of my favorite ones. I've actually got this first up in both in our home and in my office, there, there's a verse that says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I, I think we have a way, that little voice in our mind, that the inner voice, makes some people call it right, have a way, that, that little, that little, um, uh, wizard and the Wizard of Oz behind the screen, that little voice in our minds oftentimes wants to convince us or make us feel like we're God and we're in control of everything. And I think through meditation, whether it's prayerful meditation or non-prayerful meditation, quieting your mind, that be still and know that I am God. Know that the King of Kings, the King of Kings is God. You don't need to think. You don't need to worry. You don't need, like, it's all right there. And I think there's meditation helps us to quiet the inner voice, and it helps us, the most importantly, I believe, quiet the repetitive voice. Psychologists have tested this so many times. I first became aware of this idea literally 30 years ago. There was science that had already proven this decades in advance of that, and it's been proven a number of different ways that technology and understanding of the mind and the brain has improved that they suggest somewhere around 93% of our thoughts on a daily basis are repetitive in nature. There are thoughts that we thought yesterday and the day before. It's that inner voice in our mind that thinks the same thoughts over and over and over on a broken record. 
and that there's, there's very little new thought. So when we become aware of our thoughts, aware of our choices, aware of our feelings, and we begin to choose new ones, we begin to turn off that inner voice temporarily, and long-term we begin to reprogram it. Meditation helps us to turn off that inner voice uh, for a few minutes each day, whether it's once a day or twice a day. It's just turning off that inner voice. So when the inner voice gets turned off, even for short periods of time, it's easier to reprogram. I think affirmations can be very, very helpful. When affirmations are written the right way and when they're said in a way <clears throat> that we experience it's almost the reason why I've preferred over, over the years. I think Sabrina was somebody who really took this um, <coughs> seriously a couple of years ago when we talked about it, but <coughs> incantations can be even more powerful than affirmations because incantations involve us feeling the feeling. It's reprogramming the way we feel about things. It's turning off habitual patterns of feeling and turning on new empowering patterns of feeling, whether that's being more competitive or more confident or more loving or whatever it is, more appreciative, more grateful. It's turning on those feelings. It's really the difference between incantation and affirmation. So if you're not familiar with that, certainly you hear one of your leaders to get your resources and help you to be more familiar with that. But uh, the other thing is association. Uh, you know, it's funny, Dean Sanderson the other day, this week, was doing full-time receiving cracking up because he's talking about some of the same stuff. He's talking about, like, hey, I don't like to sit around. I don't, I don't like to go to lunch or dinner with people that are healthy. Like, I don't want to be around those associations because I want to order crap. I want to enjoy eating the crap, and I don't want anybody giving me any guilt for it. He was saying it tongue-in-cheek. He was joking about it. But it's true. And when you're around healthy people and you, and you have meals with them, they make different choices for different reasons. And the more that we're around positive associations in that area, the more that we're going to make better choices related to our, our food and nutrition. It's very uncomfortable being around positive associations because our certainty about certain feelings, like we've talked about on this call, even if those feelings don't support who it is that we want to be and our goals and our vision, we become addicted to these feelings from the, our past experiences because they give us a high degree of certainty. So when we associate with, when we're around people who are, getting, are having different experiences in life and as a result getting different results in life, when we're around these people more often, it disrupts our patterns. And when our patterns are disrupted, it causes uncertainty in us. In other words, you don't eat healthy, and every day for the next month, you sit down and two meals out of the day, you sit down with uh, four or five people that are extremely healthy and nutrition conscious. You, you, like every meal literally as, as they're ordering food and as you're ordering food, there's going to be a level of uncertainty that you feel because there's this feeling of I know what I want to order because I know the way it makes me feel short term. It makes me feel yummy. It feels good in my belly. And they're making choices and decisions based on their habitual patterns, which are, man, I want energy for the next three, four, five hours. Man, I want to feel great, you know, all day. I want to have energy for the gym later today. I want to feel great in my swimsuit in a couple of weeks. I want to, like, like their habits and patterns are shaped differently. So 
they've got certainty and you've got certainty, and all of a sudden you're eating with them and they're all making different choices, it makes you uncertain. Like, well, should I, I don't want to look bad. Should I order what they're ordering? Should I order what I really want? Like, there's all of this uncertainty and a heightened level of awareness in the moment. If you go to lunch and dinner for the next two, three, four weeks with people who, who are also make poor choices, it's just going to reaffirm your certainty about making poor choices. You're not going to think twice. You're going to order whatever you want, whatever feels yummy, and it's, and it's going to give you the short-term experience that, you're, that your mind and your body is craving, but it's going to make it even more difficult long-term to make the choices that you're wanting. So associations in business, we tend to hang around we tend to hang around and spend most of our time talking to and spending time with people who are doing about the same about the same in business. <clears throat> we don't we don't we it, it's uncomfortable for us to spend too much time around people who are doing significantly better in, in business because they challenge our perceptions, they challenge the way we think about things, they challenge our choices, and it creates uncertainty. We don't like to push back. We don't like the challenge. We want to keep thinking our thoughts and keep having our feelings, but we want to get their results. And we're around them. What becomes really exposed to us and evident to us is that they look at things differently, they talk about things differently, and they have different feelings about things. And it makes us very uncomfortable. The uncertainty makes us very uncomfortable, and the contrast makes us very uncomfortable. And so we avoid too many of those situations. Same with when it comes to nutrition and health and fitness. Same when it comes to where people are financially. Same when it comes to people and, and, and where they are in relationships with significant others. We avoid spending too much time around people who are getting significantly better results, even if they're the, exactly the kind of results that we want to be getting or really close to the kind of results that we want to be getting. Because the contrast between what they think and what they feel and what we think and what we feel is so great it makes us uncomfortable and it creates uncertainty. And at the end of the day, we all crave certainty and we all crave, crave the comfort of experiences and feelings and thoughts that we're used to, even if they're not healthy or productive ones. So complete left turn from the content and nature of our calls the past few weeks and really I think the entire quarter of this, uh, this year so far. But I wanted to put that out there. I also want to share with you, uh, like my lettuce, his podcast is just off the chain. Like, please make sure you're including his podcast very sincerely in your daily repertoire. He's got, there's so much great content. And he's been so obsessed and such a sponge with so many ideas related to personal improvement and self-development that he has the right people on these shows and he asks great questions. Um, his most recent one, I forget the name of the guy, Dr. Joe something. He talks about a lot of the same ideas that I just talked about. He talks about them at a way smarter level than I do. He understands them in a much better He understands them as, and articulates them as well as I've ever heard anybody. I wanted to share with you some ideas related to that podcast and some of that podcast today because here's what I know. Most of you want more in your life in one area or another. Most of you are going to listen to the podcast. 
else you never do. You're too busy to listen to the podcast. You're too busy to meditate. You're too busy to make time to spend with leaders or mentors in different areas. You're too busy doing the, doing Groundhog Day. You're too busy doing the same thing over and over that you've been doing for days, weeks, months, and years. You're too busy reliving those past experiences in your daily activities and getting the same results and getting frustrated. You're too busy with all of that to break the pattern of busyness. Create a vision for your life. Pray about that vision so that you know that vision is congruent with his will and the vision that he has for you. That you take time to be still and know that his plans are the best for you. That you quiet the mind and turn off that internal chatter, turn off the ego. You be quiet and you get clear on that vision. You get clear on his will. <clears throat> and that you begin to break these patterns and you begin to seek out people and relationships that make you uncomfortable and that make you uncomfortable because you know these people are thinking and feeling and playing the game at a different level and that you're now more committed to achieving that level than you are to um, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the uncertainty that's accompanied with you spending more time with them. I hope it helps some of you in some small way. Hey, um, you don't need to tell me how it impacted you or what helped. Show me. Show me with your level of awareness, the choices that you make, with the vision that you create, with how you begin to catch yourself and reward yourself when you catch yourself and take on a new thought, a new feeling, a new idea. Appreciate you guys. Have a terrific Friday. Let's crush it tomorrow. Um, grande chai tea latte hot please and not the green the last time I ordered and it was green <laughs> chai tea awful ah <sighs>